Hello and welcome to the Culture File Debate, where the subject this time is not knowing. It's some considerable time now, says one of Samuel Beckett's characters, who knows which one, since I last knew what I was talking about. If there's one thing now at the dawn of 2022 that we can be sure of, it's uncertainty, of not knowing. It's at the core of all our planning, hoping, and if we push on, our doing. Not knowing is the aspect of human life that's forever conjured in the question, when will it end? But even if the question is as old as humanity, its prevalence and its significance are new. Not knowing is the news. Not knowing is the plot of everyday life. But does not knowing have to be fruitless, a suspended state, or is there something more useful hiding there? Artists have long exploited this loophole, working eagerly with not knowing, ready to escape with its fruits in hand. John Keats had a positive view of the condition of not knowing. He worked to end up there, in the state of what he called negative capability, the state in which real creative solutions might arrive? From where? The unknown, of course. For Rebecca Solnit, capturing the unknown is about extending the boundaries of the self into unknown territory. And what is Peter Jackson examining in Get Back? Only the Beatles dwelling, wallowing over weeks in not knowing. For the psychoanalyst Wilfred Bean, not knowing is the place from which everything must emerge, the place to live when we desperately need to conjure alternative forms, new understandings. So is our world, a world congealed with not knowing, actually the most hopeful place to be? Is there a way to thrive in this place, to move with the anxiety and doubt, to discover new, sustainable ways of acting, of organising, of living? I don't know. And joining me this month for the Culture File debate are some people who equally don't know, which leaves us with an excellent chance of not knowing in about half an hour's time. Hello, everybody. On the panel this time, we have Professor Rebecca Fortnum, Head of School of Fine Art at Glasgow School of Art and author of On Not Knowing, How Artists Think. Hello, Rebecca. Hi. Hi. Tiger Sullivan is a sound recordist and filmmaker whose most recent film, To the Moon, uses a vast cinematic archive to explore the moon and the things humanity has thought about it. Hello, Tig. Hi, Luke. Hello. Steve Volk is a dramaturg and educator who's worked with Robert Wilson, the William Forsyth Company and Doug Da Dance, helping performers and their companies think not just outside the black box, but also outside the white cube. So now I think it would be timely to ask our panel of experts what they don't know. Rebecca Fortnum, you've spent some time discovering the place of not knowing for the artist. What set you off in that direction and, and what did you discover? Well, um, I'm an educator, but I'm also a, a painter myself. And um, I was coming back into making art after a long period of writing about it. And I had lost... Uh, that thread that you have that runs through your work where questions arise and you move on to the next piece of work. And so I was felt like I was starting from scratch. And I also felt that I'd lost a lot of uh, the impetus, the inquiry. And so I felt that personally I was in the place of not knowing, even though I'd been making art for many, many years. But I'd also been watching my students within art schools working out their own processes and how they developed what it was that was important to them. I guess I was kind of feeling that I wanted to resist a sort of sense of an auditing culture that I had felt 
had developed in recent years where students were being required to not only know what they were going to do, but also to articulate its value. And so sort of wrestling with both those experiences led me to go and talk to some artists about their own experiences of making and to try and understand how artists used not knowing strategically in their own work to um, sort of propel their processes and their sense of discovery. So tell us a little bit about how they do use not knowing. Well, I think for most artists, there's a sense that you wouldn't make it if you could predict what it was you were going to make. Paula Rego, the painter, has this great quote where she says, I do it to find out what it is. So I think for them and for perhaps their viewing public, there's a sense of wonderment. You know, I wonder, which is a great phrase, isn't it? I, I wonder what, what it is that I will make. And although there's certain presentiments, there's certain a sense of intention, there's also a sense that you, you don't really know what the final form is going to be. And I think that's part of the excitement of making. Tyke, how much does that resonate with you? As a filmmaker, you your way of, of telling a story is a sort of accrual of details and moments and filming. What, what kind of part does not knowing play in the creation of your films? I have to say what Rebecca just described is a pretty good description of what I do and I'm not and I think that she's probably done a better job of describing my practice than maybe I could um, <laughs> because it is all about wandering like it's the you know the, the homonym of wander and wonder you know like there's a sense of wonder as you proceed through a subject like for me curiosity is the main driver I tend to pick fairly big subjects like the moon and these are not subjects that I set out as an expert on, far from it, but I kind of pick a large frame and then try and find my way through that subject, led by my own curiosity, hoping that then when the viewer sees the film, that they'll come with me on a kind of a journey of co-curiosity. You know, I'm not interested in making a didactic work, explaining anything to anybody, because I don't, I'm not explaining anything to myself. Like, I, I think great work that I see or that I read or that I watch takes me on a journey of discovering something with the maker. And I think this is something that we find in, in our human relationships as well. It's not just in art. You know, we don't we aren't drawn to people who explain things to us necessarily. We're drawn to people who we can embark on some kind of journey of discovery with through life. And I think art reflects that. Steve Volk, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your history with not knowing. I, I imagine when you're working as a dramaturg, you're coming face to face uh, with the question of not knowing, like the people you're about to work with have a, a not knowing at the heart, which is why you, you've come to them. This is why you've met them, maybe. Well, uh, you know, I, I realized in a certain way, if someone said, well, the, the central theme of your entire work, and I'm about to turn 60, if it were to be not knowing, uh, that might actually be an appropriate uh, description. So really, it, it, it really is a kind of central theme of my work, not only in my personal practice, but I, I came to the word encyclopedic came to me. So I've actually just by, again, by the course of my, my uh, biography, uh, come to a kind of systemic awareness and study of this concept of not knowing and then also of course productively the notion of uh, negative capacity so the idea that not knowing is actually a quality that can be developed and it's a creative tool or it's an it's a psychic state of mind in which creativity happens 
So my experience with it is really both personally, intrinsically uh, to my own practice, everyday practice, and then as kind of also has become a, a field of study for myself. So yeah, it's really that axis. And just one little anecdote, I mean, to make it really down and dirty, I was an assistant director in the opera, sort of in my early part of my career, and I was uh, asked to join a rather famous New York uh, director to do Wagner, uh, uh, Lohengrin. And I had never seen Lohengrin. I had never heard Lohengrin. And as an assistant director, the first thing you're going to do is listen to the opera and read the libretto and, in fact, study the libretto. And something inside me, something kind of slightly, you know, gremlin-esque, said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to. I'm just going to go into the entire rehearsal process not knowing anything, nothing about it. And what happened was that I sat next to the director, and I and we st didn't even start at the beginning. You know, we start, I think I don't think we did, anyways. So what I did was just react to what I saw, and it I, it got me really excited because I'd never heard Wagner and I'd never seen this piece. So I was just talking the ear off of the director, and I felt it was a high wire act. Like I thought any day I could be exposed. Like if they asked me some question directly about the opera, I would be you know screwed. But I actually went through the entire process never knowing what was happening, and I loved it. And it, and it made, <laughs> gave me the position as an assistant director of really being like an artist. Like I was fully like involved and fully engaged in, in an artistic way with it because I'd never seen it before. So that's the kind of really, really like that I think anybody in a workplace situation could understand, wow, that's kind of freaky to just deliberately not – you know, not be informed at all about what you're doing. It's something that we kind of, I don't, I don't know if it's just me, but like not Googling something that you're uncertain of. It's like we try and live a little bit in that because there's so much certainty available in terms of uh, looking something up and being convinced of a fact. Rebecca, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, is there a sort of taxonomy of not knowing that we could establish? I mean, there's a kind of willful ignorance, but there's also thinking through making as a type of not knowing. Did you find a kind of different flavours of, of not knowing in people? work I mean I think it's really different not knowing when you're a younger artist than when you're a mature artist and maybe Steve would have felt less comfortable about doing that at a different stage I don't know I would like to say that not knowing we mustn't romanticize it too much because it's really bloody difficult and um, you know it can be very painful very uncomfortable very anxiety inducing uh, to you know to be stuck and although we know it's probably important to the creative process, it can be extremely uncomfortable. And we will, I think, as artists, find ways out of it. It doesn't mean it. Um, we achieve it, we achieve knowing, because I think there's a way in which art always keeps it rather elusive. So it's about the process of finding. But I have noticed that in mature practices, there's a kind of toing and froing between a lot of knowledge, maybe tacit knowledge, so maybe not explicit, but knowledge that's been built up through processes, through thought, through reflection over a number of years. And then there'll be moments when that is kind of recedes or is somehow put in abeyance and something more spontaneous, which might be not informing yourself about, you know, a particular issue or whatever. And that will allow you to see things in a different way. 
Tyke, have you felt it moving from film to film that you have a, a sort of a developing sense of unknowing? A little, because in a way, when you're young and you don't have confidence, it would take extreme confidence to simply admit your lack of knowledge about something. I think as you grow in, in, in trusting and being confident in your own type of knowing and you're more established in, in what you do, it's easier to say that you don't know about something. And I think that's true in life in general. You know, I think it, it takes a certain maturity, especially in a culture that seems to really highly value knowledge and expertise and and people knowing things um, and I'd pick up with something that Rebecca said there about tacit and explicit knowledge like I think there's a difference between types of knowledge you know to know sets of facts is one thing that the, the culture values very highly whereas to find your own truth to find your own knowledge around a subject is a very different thing and I think that's maybe something that's come as I've gotten older is that you're talking about not Googling things. When I had the idea to make a film about the moon drawn from archive, I meant to Google for ages whether somebody had done this before. It seemed like a very obvious idea in one way. And I kept writing it down in my diary, Google the thing, when I never did, because at a certain point I knew that the film I wanted to make was going to be different. You know, I was looking for my knowledge, my truth within that. And I think that actually takes a certain amount of confidence that comes with age. Whereas when I was younger, it was much easier to pretend that you knew things. So we have there a sense, a sense of how the artist would use the not knowing and uh, the unknown. But I suppose what we'd like to do is to make the leap and say, what is it about not knowing that the artist knows that would be useful to percolate out into out into the broader world? And, that, and I suppose that's not just through the art, although it's it is it's largely through the art, but through their approaches to making. And I suppose Steve, you're you're a person who looks at not knowing in a kind of more zoomed out way that that there's a there's a kind of societal not knowing that the artist has possession of and and, and maybe you'd like to see or, or you, you can see a possibility for in in all sorts of planning in all sorts of imagining of of how our uh, world should be shaped or could be shaped well as everyone was actually responding now uh i i also wanted to say of course that i think there's a politics of not knowing and in fact, this the story of my of my work at uh, at the Frankfurt Opera. Uh, actually, it was it wasn't. I wasn't absolutely green behind the ears. I had had some like worked with Robert Wilson, for example, who was a very different kind of a performing artist and thinker. Uh, so, in fact, there was something subversive. I didn't really say that or imply that, but but I actually felt I was doing something subversive. And we know that there's a kind of cult of Wagner, and there's a kind of tribalism in opera and tribalism around Wagner. And obviously, there was a great delight in knowing nothing and yet having high function, and in fact, literally having a political position of switching from being the house assistant who's meant to do kind of the dirty work to actually uh, becoming the uh, artistic and, and conceptual partner for the director also through, through, the, through actually my not knowing anything. And that, of course, gave me a sense and understanding of how systems work. And, for example, there's, there might be a not knowing in practice, but there might be a lack of not knowing about one's own context and systemic positioning. So we might, one, one might not reflect at all about the, the systems, the, the economies one is in. And for example, another thing, I mean, this, we can take this subject endlessly on, but <clears throat> there's a kind of defense mechanism of not knowing called subsumption, 
which is that there are ways in which our minds, but also institutions, cancel, cancel what is being said and heard before it even enters the mind. So we, we actually have a capacity to shut down information coming in before it actually becomes conscious. So we see that in you know, American politics, and if there's some news we don't want to hear, we've actually already shut it down before it even gets to our consciousness. And institutions function that way. They have a kind of systemic subsumption of knowledge. So, And in fact, you could even say that not knowing if it's practiced in the negative capacity kind of way uh, in a sovereign way is a threat to an institution or a threat to the arts or whatever, and in fact can cause another kind of not knowing, which is, you know, this would be a subject for psychoanalysis, subsumption of reality, uh, of simply refusing to take in anything that questions the underlying structures and ideas of, a, of an institution or a field or et cetera. I, I mean, I think that's really interesting because I think it relates to my point about at what stage in your career are you allowed to admit you don't know? Um, because obviously, you know, we d we expect certain public figures, politicians to know. We know that knowledge is power. And we know for a woman artist, at least, admitting that you have doubt or you don't know what you're doing could lead to a rather serious dip in one's career. So there are so some people who are allowed to admit they don't know and others that aren't or it becomes more problematic for them if they do. Yeah. I think it goes back to what things it is possible to know, you know, and I think Werner Herzog wrote a lot about his documentaries seeking what he called an ex the ecstatic truth as against what other films were seeking, which he derided as the accountant's truth. And there are certain things which society holds up an accountant's truth around. That kind of overconfidence in knowing things exists within that kind of accountancy sphere where embodied knowledge or lived experience is, is, is not given as much credence. And there are other things which, um, things that are simply not, it's not possible to know. People often talk about a kind of a scientific approach to knowledge. And in my experience, these are people who use that phrase don't come from a scientific background. You know, science doesn't operate in that way. And the British philosopher Mary Midgley, I think, uh, wrote brilliantly about this, where she said that the, the humanities and economics and non-science arenas hold up a version of science that's a, a, over a century out of date, that science itself, particularly physics, incorporates not knowing, you know, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle being a fundamental aspect of that. Um, quantum physics is based on dualities and not knowing, whereas the kind of enlightenment science that economists hold up, that politicians hold up, um, science doesn't even think that way anymore. So I think, to come back to your original question, if, if what art can do has any value, it's to posit, to remind ourselves that there are other ways of knowing things, that there are other types of knowledge, that not everything has to exist within the accountant sphere. And, and the people who kind of, uh, who have that knowledge are the artists, I presume that's kind of, kind of uh, that's where that knowledge lives. Well, it's, it's the native language of art, I think. I would argue that it is and it isn't. It is in an innate, practical way, but of course the institution of the arts is highly problematic in the sense of that it's also blind and shields itself from many things. Um, and I, I just wanted to say that we might be moving towards, uh, and, and again, moving in 50 years' time, whatever, but 
where we see certainty or accountant's reality as a lack of rigor. And in fact, talking about uh, being able to say you don't know, you know, it's, it is a question of a skill and, and how, how highly developed, I think, you, you know, we, we all, we as a culture, uh, have developed this understanding of negative capacity, negative capability. Because literally, in, in, when you say, I don't know, with a deep understanding of native, native, native capability, what you're doing is you're saying that to know is to lack rigor, uh, to, be, to lack multiple perspectives on something. So, for example, I believe that the arts are fully capable of not taking in multiple perspectives on something that they might be dealing with. I mean, literally other perspectives, other audiences, other fields of knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I think an art school is probably one place it does happen. And I think Steve's expressed it really well. And I, there's a lot of conversation around radical empathy in the schools that I inhabit. I suppose my concern is before we get to that stage, so school education, where the things that we're talking about, you know, have been more or less eradicated. And I like uh, that the phrase, the accountant's truth, dominates. And really inappropriate methods of analysis are brought to texts. And the arts aren't thriving and are seen as an extra to the real work, which is, you know, this, this kind of accounting. Well, I, I mean, I, su I suppose what we're interested in then is what system of education is not going to produce that s suppression kind of result. Um, I think because we still have a system where artists are teaching, they're rethinking what they're doing the whole time. And they're always coming up with ways of circumnavigating, you know, whatever dictats are coming from above in order to acquire degrees or acquire qualifications and this kind of thing. So, you know, for me, working in art schools has been a really exciting journey in the last 30 years. But I suppose the thing that I wanted to then think about was the notion of skill and skill acquisition. Because, you know, there's something quite interesting that as a visual artist, what, what artist has changed beyond recognition, you don't need to be able to draw in the way you did used to. You don't be able to sort of master of colour or whatever it is. Um, you know, there are other other forms of art, but I suppose as a, as a, as a musician, there's a kind of benchmark. Um, probably in Steve's world, you know, there's conservatoires that are still sort of teaching um, very specialist knowledge. And, you know, in the in the film world, you, you, you need to know how to use the kit. So, you know, are we talking about, again, bouncing between that kind of specialised acquisition of skill and something that allows you to improvise and to be outside of the of this kind of knowledge structure. Tyke, the formal training of in filmmaking is a is a kind of a, a massive mountain that that always has to be climbed. Or, or, or am, am I wrong? There is a final cut pro all that you'll ever need. Um, yes and no. I think it depends on what kind of films that you want to make. Um, like I, I worked in a university across 2021. I was the film artist in residence in University College Cork. Um, and it was really, really interesting to work with people who are half my age and, and look at what they're doing and and to realise that the, the degree to which the skills are entirely native to them, the skills that we would have, have struggled to access, you know, the, even just the machines that we had to access when I was learning and I didn't go to film school, but um, there was a, there's a huge learning curve there. Whereas now 
what I find really, really exciting is the democratization of the arts um, and the fact that social media and technology have given people a voice and that the gatekeeping of knowledge is, I think, being diminished. I look at things on TikTok and I look at people doing amazing stuff with phones on TikTok. And yes, it's juvenile and yes, it's silly. But these people are only 19 or 14 or whatever. They will be 35. They will bring those skills with them as they grow up. And I think they will entirely reinvent cinema, to be brutally honest. Well, I, you know, again, the thing that I, I've been thinking about since in the, just in the last part of this conversation is, you know, I talked about subsumption, and I, I, I honestly can say in all of my experience, by the way, I've actually formally moved the last five or six years formally into arts and educational institutions, so that's literally been my focus the last years. I have not been in an, an institution yet, and, and I've been in different ones and even very good ones, in which there isn't a kind of a surrender and acquiescence to accountant logic and accountant reality. It seems to be something that just has to be accepted, and many of the greatest thinkers I've met have absolutely acknowledged the fact that they are, in a certain way, resigned to working within an institution in which they have can have no effect and where there's no experimentation, there's no creativity, and they work out of that and accept that. And it's really sad. And I think that that is the thing we do not want to look at. Uh, you know, Roberto Unger talks about the dictatorship of no alternatives. And I think we, we are at the moment still living in that, uh, that kind of a sense of a dictatorship, of there not being a vision for a transformed society that, that moves creativity from the formal institutionalized realms toward the society itself and towards the kind of necessary reconstruction of society. Everything that you're saying, Steve, I absolutely agree with, but it presupposes the, the centrality of institutions as we proceed. You know, and, and absolutely we're going to need universities and absolutely we're going to need conservatoires. Um, but there, like to think of my own practice for a moment, when I was growing up, television stations, terrestrial television stations, were the institutions of making films, of making television programs and getting stuff out. And that seemed to be unshakably the way it would always be. Whereas now, I, I asked my students in UCC last term how much linear television, how much television they watch. They watch absolutely none, zero. They watch each other's videos that are, like I say, really interesting and brilliant on platforms like TikTok and YouTube. The institution of, say, the National Broadcaster in Ireland is just being left behind. It's being, you know, the, its audience is getting old and when it dies out, the institution may die itself. And what's replacing it is a grassroots from below creation of a new visual media, which I find incredibly empowering uh, and really, really exciting. Change can happen from below, from an embodied knowledge or an exploration of not knowing from below rather than taking knowledge entirely from institutions. Like I say, I'm not wishing for the end of universities at all. I'm not looking for the end of, of any institution, but I'm just saying that if the institutions don't change, that vacuum absolutely will be filled by because people are empowered to fill, it, fill that vacuum now in a way that previous generations weren't. To be a little cynical, uh, I would say, oh, this sounds like the naive, utopian, and joyful thinking of the Internet in the 70s. 
that in fact just giving people freedom and grassroots, uh, you know, and the ability can, to connect is going to transform society? I don't think so. I think we are facing institutions like Facebook and Amazon and all these other kinds of institutions, and you don't need institutions at all to do creative work. You need them as weapons or as, as, as structures to go against other structures. So in the institution of the future, they will find you. You don't find them. They don't, you don't have to buy a ticket to go. People, the institution will be looking for you. And then this sense of a space, of affection, of social love, and of action, and of law. We can never get away from that. And the thing is that to think that Facebook is going to deliver that, or Amazon is going to deliver that, I just don't think that's going to happen. But we don't know. Yes, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but I'm guessing. I have a big, I have a hunch. I, I think that we, we might have uh, taken some steps into uh, knowing, not knowing, but also knowing what might grow from not knowing. But I'm pleased to say I don't know. I'd like to thank our panelists today who for this fantastic conversation, Rebecca Fortnum, Tygo Sullivan and Steve Vork all of those for sharing their knowledge of not knowing. We'll be back with your usual Culture File weekly next Saturday tea time. But till then, bye now, maybe. <laughs>